Closet Internet, and welcome to Two Guys in SharePoint. The only SharePoint show coming back to you after a little hiatus in South Africa where everything is uh, not made up and there are no points. How's it, Al? Hello, Mr. Modlin. Long time no see. Yeah, it's been a busy time. Uh, yeah. Lots of travels. Uh, two weeks outside of the country, three different countries. Very, 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 very cold. I will never, ever, ever complain about the weather in South Africa ever again. Heavy, bro. And the longer you're away, the longer your intro gets, apparently. <laughs> well, well, that is um, entertaining. Yeah. So we've got a bunch of stuff for everybody in the news today. No guest this week, I think. No, we do have a guest. I did manage to track down the elusive Asuetha Sankaran at the MVP Summit, and we had a great chat to her uh, with some cameos by Heather Newman, who will probably be on our show in the next couple of weeks as well. That's absolutely fantastic. Uh, let's cross to that now. Sweet. I've got two lovely ladies here at the, this year's MVP Summit. So we're coming to you live from where Red, we, Redmond, Redmond, Washington. Washington State. Yes. Yeah, not Washington, D.C. No. A lot of people get confused with that. So we've got Heather Newman and Sweta. Uh, Sankaran. Sankaran. Yes. Okay, so welcome, ladies. Thank you. A little bit about yourself, Sweta. I come from a rural town in South India okay. uh, called Erode. And uh, I have a bachelor's in engineering. All right. uh, wow. Very humble beginnings growing up. Um, so you, I, you've got a bachelor's in engineering. Yeah. And that's very humble beginnings. Well, prior to that, uh, my childhood was okay. you know very simple, uh, tiny uh, up, uh, living. And yeah. So I've come a long way from there to being here. Um, it means a lot to be here among awesome people like Heather and you and several other MVPs here who I used to look up to quite a bit, still do. Um, I was going to so say used to. No, no, no. I will always. I'm happy to be in yeah. the used to bucket. No, come on. No. So, no, no. so I, I host. Uh, Federal SharePoint user group in Women in SharePoint DC. Yeah, we yeah. have around 1,800 members there. So that's Washington on the other, Correct. that's East yeah, Coast. It's yeah, it's the DC, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. the DC user group. Um, and it's a cause that's very close to my heart. Um, I used to I used to work for the school system, right. and I did Office 365 SharePoint implementation for them. I was the only person that did it, and I put on several hats from, you know, administration to development to training and user adoption, and it was a very big success in the school system. Um, that got me here, I think, because I learned a lot. I also shared a lot. Uh, I blogged. I, I brought several speakers for training our staff, and you know, just that it just I like, got absorbed in it, and I loved it, um, and I contributed a lot to the community, and I'm very thankful to be here and so, for the podcast. <laughs> Thank you. And it's recording. <laughs> How long have you been an MVP? This is my first year. First one, first yes. one. Yeah. Hopefully, well, I will come again next year. No, it's my first one. Too. Seriously? Really? Yeah. Have I? I know, first timer. Awesome. Yeah, absolutely. So, your experiences in the space, what are you seeing that's working? So, did you do a lot in the education side? I mean, I like the, um, you use the EDU. 
right for, yeah. yeah i started with uh, uh like i said office 365 for school systems yeah, so yeah. Uh, we did quite a bit of training in one classroom one of our students uh we started you know using microsoft uh, uh classroom yeah. to an extent um uh, so it was all brand new, yeah. and people didn't even know what SharePoint was when when we did the whole site implementation and everything. So from there, it was beautiful to see the transformation, right? Where they didn't even know what SharePoint was, to so everybody wanted SharePoint. So it was a, it was I, I saw that uh, entire spectrum of uh, growth from from nowhere to somewhere. Uh, so yeah, that's that's my background, and that that's what I do now as well. I and the move. From the OneNote classroom notebook and that whole ecosystem inside of OneNote into Teams, how do you feel about that? Because you would have started with, did you start with the learner companion right in the beginning before it got sucked into OneNote or did you just come we into the EDU side with, with OneNote? Okay, yeah. yeah, and we, I wasn't there right. uh, when when Teams came about. Right. I, I had moved on to another okay. another company at that time, and I would I cannot speak to that. I hope it went well. Uh, for them, uh, because I can see a lot of advantage with Teams, mm -hmm. uh, so I, I hope they adopted it. And if anybody, I still talk to people, uh, yeah. and I, I, I'm more than happy to recommend. Uh, but I personally haven't used Teams much myself. Mm -hmm. Our organization now is a financial institution where right. I'm working in. They, we have Office 365. We are migrating to the cloud uh, in a very short time, uh, but we haven't utilized several of the apps. Uh, you know, uh, Flow, be it Flow, be it uh, Flow is something I'm trying to use more and more. Uh, but Teams, not so much at all. But we have it, so eventually I hope to, you know, have the people move to Teams uh, and and utilize all the Office 365 apps. So how do you go from engineering mm -hmm. to IT? Well, I was a computer science engineer. So okay, computer science. Yeah. Okay, all so right. It wasn't, that, it wasn't like I was a civil engineer and suddenly right. I had to okay. go and become yeah. a, right. a binary biz or something. Okay. You know, okay. I've always been in computer science. I always loved learning new things. So I'm kind of like jack of all odds and most often I never feel like I'm an expert in something because there is always a lot to learn. Yeah, yeah. And that's also partly because I keep moving from one one technology to another. But SharePoint is something that I have been in since 2007. So I have seen oh, wow. version oh. 2003, I've seen work with version 2007, 13, 10, 13, and now on 365. And I've always been fortunate to use the latest. Okay. Um, so I hope to continue doing that. And teams would be something I'm really interested in exploring, yeah. yeah. Are you finding the shift from traditional SharePoint? Because yeah, you build a site, you build a bunch of sites, sub-sites, and you've got proper information architecture. Moving that to the cloud as well as the advent of teams saying, well, we don't particularly care where you store your content, just use the front end. Is that a shift for you it's from a consultant perspective? From a consultant perspective, I kind of, to be frank, I like being in the cloud more than the on-prem because I think it's a lot more fluid on the cloud. Um, and I like that adaptability and use of options to use several apps. You know, I don't have to build a complex, uh, you know, form and application if I can simply do forms instead of simple form. If it's just going to be a survey, I don't have to spend hours. Or create a .NET app for that matter or sandbox solutions. I'm happy. Uh, I'm, I think it, I'm, I enjoy 
uh, all the cloud tools and apps much more than they did on-prem stuff. Yeah. And in the financial services industry, are you finding that there is a barrier to moving to the cloud because of all the regulatory compliance statutes and all those racky levels that you have inside of banks and those sort of things? They're very apprehensive about our data is no longer in our building. I'm in, uh, I'm, in the, I'm in a company. I work for a company called Common Securitization Solutions. It's okay. a, it's a, it's a uh, what do you call it? It's a joint venture by Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac. Uh, so they have always been open to adopting new tools and technology. Okay. So there wasn't much of a barrier. Oh, wow. uh, they were, we, we are more than happy to go on the cloud. There are just you know certain things like all the documents. So there is a lot of architecture, information architecture planning that needs to be done. Um, so there is a little bit of delay in finding that right structure because going from, like you said, in pro, you know, hierarchical uh, structure to site collections, flat site collections, it takes a little bit of planning to do and that's where we are right now. We need to figure out what goes where. Are they further along with document capture too? Like they're not so paper? Are they more digital to start? It's Yes, it is definitely digital to start. There is a lot of manual stuff to us in emails. Mm. It's a tiny bit of paper, not as much as in, you know, in the county systems that right. we have, mm-hmm. but there is a certain amount of paper stuff that are still there uh, that needs you know the hard signatures and right. everything. But we are getting there, yeah. yeah, yeah. And hopefully we will be on the cloud by the end of this year, all cloud, and uh, yeah, that's what we are targeting towards. Yeah. So no more talk about tech. All right. <laughs> <laughs> so I want to talk a bit about you, how you got into the industry. We know that women in technology is quite a big topic right now. Yeah. And I know you're one of the driving forces behind change inside of the IT industry. So for the budding person wanting to get into IT, specifically from a female perspective, what are your did you struggle to get into it? What was the what was your journey like? My journey it's it's personal personal journey is kind of interesting. To begin with, I wasn't really much of a, a tech lover. Uh, right. I was more creative on the creative side. I would have it were my choice. And I would you have did done computer science. I did computer science. Was uh, that was that like a like your parents? Yes, it was my mom. It was either computer science engineering or you go you know beg on the street. Pretty much that was the choice. Ah, uh, so it's so, so, <laughs> like oh you're not studying computer science engineering, you will never get a job in your life. You know that was the mentality. Right. Uh, that is epic. <laughs> yeah, but, but uh, I'm I'm making fun of it now, but. Uh, uh, I I do enjoy the creative, you know, I found my niche in doing the, exploring the creative part of it. I love charts, I love to create, you know, fun uh, jQuery charts and high charts, and, you know, I find my niche uh, in whatever platform we choose. To answer your question, though, um, just because we are, I was a, I was a girl, that didn't make any difference in me getting into IT or okay. not. It it had always been what I was passionate about. All the jobs that have been successful, all the projects that have been successful are the ones that I put my heart and soul into it because I believed in the cause. Yeah, the, for example, the school system and there was this other company where I was exploring analysis services, reporting services, it was brand new. And, you know, just the fun of doing new things and seeing the results immediate results so it, it was more result driven than 
it didn't mean I, if I were a man, I would have felt the same way. If I was in the same spot, I would have Except ended up in the same place. If you were a man, you wouldn't have done it as well as you did it. Because that's what we struggle with. <laughs> no, it's true, it's true. You want something done properly and 100%, you go to a woman. Um, that's just my personal Thank you. opinion. No, it's just how I like it is. It. No, 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 it doesn't mean. I didn't say anything. <laughs> so, 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 budding women that want to get into IT, because there's a stigmatism associated with it, that it's difficult, and I suppose I'm, I don't have any bias, so it's difficult for me to provide an objective viewpoint because I don't see what everyone's been saying well it's difficult for women to get into IT there isn't the same salary and all of those things the stuff that we don't talk about um, as because men don't talk about women in IT we don't right well I don't I don't know what everyone well, you are else. right now which is lovely well no well we've got to broach the subject I mean I look at South Africa we're a rainbow nation we have all these things thrown at us um, because we are growing as a country whereas you get and we're not a third world country, we're a first world developing country. I think we need to differentiate between us and the rest of Africa. And that's maybe probably biased from my perspective. But we're very sensitive about every possible topic under the sun. And we've got a woman in IT, IAMCPT. IAMCP. Yeah. IAMCP. IAMCP. WIT. Yes, yes, yes. Running and um, Tracy, who's an office service and services MVP, attends it. Yep. She's got her own opinion about it, and I'm not going to mention that, because I'll probably have people in South Africa listen to this podcast as well. But from, there's always this stigmatism that, as a woman, it's difficult to get into IT. And then also, when you're in IT, it's difficult to grow. I think it's... And I think it's le- Entering into IT, I don't think is as difficult as staying in IT sometimes, or rising at the rate that maybe your male counterparts do. So I think, I think getting into IT, choosing to be a major in STEM, science or math or engineering, I think you can choose to do that. But I think sometimes there's barriers to continuing. There's barriers to being chosen. There's barriers to getting the promotion or the raise, and some of that is just because women aren't looked at that way and it's also because women don't ask for it because they're not they're not taught to ask for it necessarily I think right yes so I I kind of feel like that's that's more of the issue and so that's having male allies and not only having them but helping them be male allies so that they understand looking at the world maybe in a different way so that they become those allies that suggest why don't you go for that promotion or I will support you when you do or ask for that raise or I'm going to repeat a great idea that you said in a room full of other people so that it stays your idea and doesn't get taken over by someone else you know so there's a lot of that like how do we support women's voices but how do we support them sometimes to remind them to go after that same rung on the ladder that everybody else is going on because I don't know anything about women in IT and how that program works I hear about it, but what you're saying now is interesting because <laughs> it makes sense. I'm good. Are you sure? I know. <laughs> I'm, I'm on double duty with a conference call in my ear, but it's all right. Well, we'll, we'll that's, we'll that's, edit that that's how out. women in IT work, <laughs> darling. Yeah, men can't multitask. <laughs> Clearly, women can. So, yeah. 
How are we doing for time? So in closing, any suggestions from your side around? I would recommend, my only recommendation is to pursue the passion, and I agree with what Heather just said, to believe in ourselves and to go for that next step or promotion, believing in ourselves and, you know, not underselling ourselves, because I have done that multiple times, I do that. You know, I, I, if, the, you know, if, if there are like 10 requirements for a job and I know eight of them and I don't know two of them, I don't apply for it. And are, are, men I, do. Yeah, that, yeah. I don't. The time. I don't, yes, because exactly. I'm like, what if that's two tasks or, you know, if, if, if that gets, you know, I won't be able to do justice to the job, maybe I can. So I, I talk myself out of things like that or for salary, you know, I think it is very important to check with people in the same level to find out what the salary is and ask for that and not to just get a number in our head because a number that I ask for might be much less than what actually people are being paid and just because I don't know I ask for that and people say yeah I can give you that <laughs> absolutely yes sir yes I, I think you, what you're talking about is a dialogue right yes. and I think that people often say to me because I do run a lot of I mean I, I counterpart you with women in SharePoint I do a lot of um, work with the diversity in women in business and tech at Microsoft and a lot of the third party events and you'll so, get your own episode so oh no 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 what I'm saying is <laughs> is that no what I'm saying is is that when people ask me why do we have this stuff why do we have to have this conversation well it's because of these issues that are still there and that it's women in tech but it's also diversity in tech and I think the more we talk about it the more we talk to the men in our lives about this and have a dialogue about it the more things change right and the more those ideas just run rampant throughout all of us alright so how can people get hold of you if they went to can they get hold of you I think that's absolutely so where do they find you on the interwebs and the twitterotis uh, well my swetasankren.com uh, is my blog swetashan is my S-W-E T-H-A-S-A-N so if they can search for S-W-E-T-H-A-S-A-N. Okay, so Sweta San. It's my Twitter handle. Twitter handle, yeah. yeah. Sweta yeah. San. Yeah. Got you. Yeah. All right, well, I thank you for being on this week's episode of Two Guys and <laughs> This is awesome. Thank and we'll you. chat to you soon. Ta-ta. Absolutely. Yay. Thank you. All right, uh, and uh, thanks, uh, Sweta, for being on the show today. Uh, I really enjoyed her enthusiasm. She was so stoked to be on the show. Yeah, that's super cool. Thank you so much for joining us. So then we're on to our main segment. In the news. Yes, we've got lots of news for everybody this week, partially because we haven't been, we've been away for a while and partially just because there's a bunch of news recently. Well, I, I think it's a good thing. So remember we had this running theory that whenever we do in the news, uh, the next day when we publish the show, Microsoft releases a plethora of updates. So this time around, we spent the last three weeks waiting for Microsoft to do what they normally do. And surprisingly enough, most of the news were announced on a Tuesday and a Wednesday. So this is running commentary from our side. And we believe that tomorrow there will be new news that have been will be released by Microsoft. And we're going to test that theory. All right, so what do you have? Okay, so yes, there's a new beta in Outlook.com, which gives you a bunch of features. You can go check it out. So it's Outlook.com. It's 
stuff all focused mailbox and all that goodness. There's also some changes to the calendar and people that you can go check out. If you do want to, you can log into Outlook.com and there is there should be a link for opt into the beta so you can start using it. I, I, um, do you use Outlook.com? Not at all. But yes, for those that use Outlook.com, uh, your Hotmail Live and Outlook.com email addresses, you have new features. So it's good to see that there's some feature parity coming across from what we experience in our Outlook web access uh, as part of Office 365 or if you've got Exchange running on-prem and you go to your domain name slash OWA, you would probably see this coming through. And there's a lot of new stuff coming this year. Um, the new... Office products, server products are being launched, Exchange 2019, SharePoint 2019, Office 2019 as well as Skype for Business 2019. So just to dispel the myths, you should see a CTP, a consumer technology preview of all four products by mid this year. So I think it's uh, spring this year in the US and obviously uh, fall, winter for us. And uh, the products will be released later towards the end of the year. So even though it says 2019, it will be released in 2018, like all things Microsoft. Next up. Next up in the news, there are new Azure region regions worldwide. So if you're in Germany, Switzerland, uh, the UAE, or you'd like to have your Azure data there, those regions have now opened up. Good to see Microsoft spreading these some more. Are they deploying in Germany? Because Germany's got a data center. They're deploying more there. I mean, Switzerland's at the bottom of Germany. And I actually spoke to uh, someone in Zurich and I said, uh, do you have the same personality as Germans do? And he said, no, we're a separate country. So that was interesting to note. And yes, in the UAE, you're getting data centers in Dubai and Abu Dhabi. It's about a 300-kilometer uh, distance between the two, which is quite interesting to note that I suppose in South Africa, we've got a 1,600 kilometers between Johannesburg and Cape Town, which is where our data centers are going to be when they actually tell us that they've switched it on. Um, and that should be this year. We're just waiting for them to tell us that it's been switched on, which is very frustrating. Yes. Um, and I was chatting to some guys, and apparently your speeds, even if you're not um, in the local data center, even if your data is still hosted in Ireland or wherever, um, your connection speeds to 0365 will be much, much quicker right from the get-go as soon as they turn those on. I don't know how that breakout works, though. Oh, that, I'm not that's, sure if, if, if that's, you break out locally and then from there you go to Ireland for... Well, what's going to happen, what I hear is basically, I mean, I'm dumbing it down a lot because I don't know all this stuff, but basically there's a good amount of caching that'll happen in the local data center. So Look, I can, your connection to your data can, will be much quicker. Yeah, so break out locally and then there's obviously peering points between all of these uh, data centers. And then it's what, it's what AWS was doing. They were dropping, I think they called it edge servers. So instead of you connecting to an AWS data center in the US, you connect locally to a breakout point and from there, your traffic is managed to wherever your data centers are. Uh, Microsoft are actually doing that now. So you, you, you go down and it, they've got their own allocation on CCOM or whatever. Really? Apparently. Because in the old days it was... Yeah, you're not, you're not connecting over the open 
web to wherever your data center is that you're connecting to. You, you connect to an endpoint in South Africa and it sends it. But when the data center comes in, you'll connect to that and that will handle that traffic as well. Um, but there'll be a bunch of local cache, cached in inverted commas stuff as well. So I didn't know um, that. I that thought that Express Route was still a thing, though, and that's what you'd have to buy through the guys like um, MTN and Vodacom, so that it's a sort of a point-to-point VPN tunnel between you and Ireland. I didn't know that they actually have um, endpoints now breaking out and that they've provisioned or uh, grabbed some of CCOM's uh, priority bandwidth. That's actually that is that That is what I've heard. I don't. I I haven't read that in any specific documentation anywhere. That's just what I've heard chatting to the guys. So that's pretty cool. So carry on, carrying on with the news. There's been a bunch of Teams news recently because Teams recently turned one. Can you believe it's only yes. a year old? How crazy! We actually is that? we actually tried singing, um, "Happy Birthday," to Teams inside of Teams. So uh, we've got this channel called. And it, it will probably resonate with you if you've watched, um, what's that thing? I forget the name, but San Janipiro, um, which is from, I forget that show. Yeah, it's called San Junipero, which is like a, a team's water cooler for regarding 365. So it runs 24-7. Someone will hit up meet now and it, we just get to talk to each other at random times during the day. If someone else is on, they'll join the meet now and we'll have a conversation. So it's like having a virtual water cooler for everyone inside of regarding 365. It's crazy though, because I'll wake up because of jet lag at four in the morning and I'll come online and Daryl will see me there and you'll hit meet now and we start a conversation. So we tried to sing happy birthday to teams. And I think Daryl put it up on YouTube, but the latency, because we had Daryl in New Zealand, me in South Africa, and Owen Allen in Seattle, and we connected to a Teams Meet Now meeting, and yeah, the latency didn't work when it came to recording us singing that, strangely enough. So if you grab that input stream, which Daryl did through OBS, you can actually pick up the latency. But normal one-on-one or one to 20 conversations, you don't pick the latency up. Yeah, you won't even notice. Hectic. Cool. So, but yeah, they've announced a bunch of new stuff coming in Teams, apparently by um, the end of this month. So, cloud recording, which I'm not exactly sure, but I assume that's uh, like Skype. Re- recording your sessions, just like Skype. Um, message yeah. translation, real-time message bar, translation bar would be quite cool. Yeah. Um, yeah. Background video blur. For those Dude, this is revolutionary. That is revolutionary. So think about it, right? Uh, guys that work from home and you want to have a conversation with your customer, but like me, I sit in my garage when I do these recordings. So if I was doing a video call, I could blur out my background. Yeah. No, it's super cool. Super cool. They're also going to be putting in Cortana voice interactions. So you can use Cortana through Teams to interact with whatever. And uh, proper guest access with any email address, which yep. is that's power. really cool. That is power. Yeah, that's, <clears throat> that's really, really cool. That's the one thing everyone's been waiting for. So now you can truly say that you can have unified comms like you had in Skype inside of Teams. Yeah, that's awesome. 
Super, super awesome. Um, what other news do you have, Al? So I've been spending a lot of time in South Asia uh, when it comes to, and we're actually going to talk about this in more detail in my uh, feature, because Rod's got his power-ups and flow feature. Uh, I just want to talk a bit about the uh, Azure for Students plan. Microsoft has now recently launched. So with that, exactly the same way as the Office 365 plan works for education, if you've got a verifiable school address, uh, you will be able to access more than 25 of the Azure services. You can start playing around with it. And it will also include $100 a month credit. That is super awesome. So a lot of people have been wanting to think about guys that are studying right now. They're doing custom debt, right? Yeah. And being able to connect to VSTS for DevOps inside of Azure for code checking, code visioning, and all of those things. And we've been doing a lot of con- having a lot of conversations with customers about transitioning to Azure for DevOps so that you can check in code, you can actually, uh, do uh, test automation, also do deployment, also look at running a unit test, proper unit test inside of Visual Studio and being able to do code regression and all of those things. But it's always been a pain setting that up on prep. Uh, the effort and the amount of time that goes in provisioning an environment for that is just mind-blowing. Yeah. Comparing that to what you can actually do inside of Azure when it comes to a DevOps perspective, it's chalk and cheese. I mean, it literally takes less than half an hour to spin that up. So it's great to see Microsoft extending that functionality and that capability inside of Azure to students who want to start working with stuff like container services, Kubernetes orchestration, flannel, and all of the other bits that you get with microservices, Azure functions, they can now work with that seamlessly. And they can actually run these VMs or they can create a VM or a container service and use $100 of credit to do that for testing purposes. Fantastic. Absolutely fantastic. Very cool. Get on that, guys. Yeah, I I don't think we covered the OneDrive Complete, well, not complete, la, 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 compete plan from Microsoft. So I think it was about a month ago, Microsoft decided to take it to Box, Dropbox, and Google Drive, saying that any customer that has a premium subscription from Box, Dropbox, or Google Drive can now move freely to OneDrive and only start paying for OneDrive for business once they've ended the subscription for Box, Dropbox, or Google Drive. So you get OneDrive for Business free for the duration of your premium service with its competitor. That's really awesome. Look, I think OneDrive has finally matured. Two years ago, I still have conversations with customers that have actually gone to Dropbox, that have actually gone to Google Drive saying, yeah, but when they tested OneDrive, it was a load of shit. Two years ago, before the next-gen sync client, if you ever ran OneDrive on Groove.exe, you'd understand everyone's pain. Yeah. Right now, the advancements in the next-gen sync client and the ramp-up from before Ignite to now with what the capabilities are inside of OneDrive, it's ridiculous. Absolutely ridiculous. I think I wrote a blog post for Metalogics on the OneDrive enhancements since Ignite all over the last sort of fiscal year, uh, I think it was over 47 user voice enhancements uh, was deployed for OneDrive. 
So not only is Microsoft listening to customers being us, but they're also spending a lot of time investing in capabilities inside of OneDrive. And I think it's the right time now to start having conversations with your customers that are Google Drive or Dropbox in South Africa, because I don't think we have any Box customers here. Box being, I think, probably the bigger one in the US to start moving to, to OneDrive for business. Yeah, it makes sense to keep all of your stuff in the same environment. It just makes everything easier. You've got better view of what your data is doing. And there's no reason not to, because like you say, the, the new clients are just fantastic. And you get the same experience everywhere. You can put it into your Explorer in Windows. You can share from there with the same experience. It's like they're on your PC, except, uh, except they're in the cloud. When, I, when my laptop died, I didn't lose anything. I lost a couple of my bookmarks and stuff because I hadn't synced them. But all my files and all that stuff was already in OneDrive. And I just pulled the library down to the new machine and it's like nothing had changed. It's really cool. And that's the great, that's the great part. So with Windows Adel, you could literally walk into, if your organization uses Intune and stuff like that, um, the push was really if your Surface Book explodes or it gets destroyed or someone steals it, you could work into a Microsoft store, log in there, and with Adel, it'll auto-provision everything that you've had in the cloud. Yeah, that's awesome. Very, very cool. All right, you've got some other news for us? Yes. Um, the SharePoint Online hub sites are finally rolling out. Finally. It's by time. By time. I'm so stoked. They look amazing. It's going to change the way we structure stuff in SharePoint Online. And it looks really, really cool. Um, and it, it's interesting. Like, it really is the... It's SharePoint as a communication mechanism, right? That's what it is. Like, SharePoint is for communication and document management. That's it. That's all you use it for anymore. A lot of people have had interesting questions around HubSite saying, well, hi, can we... Can we use our root site collection as a hub site? No, you cannot convert your root site collection. So, you know, company name dot SharePoint.com. You cannot convert your root site collection to a hub site. No, I don't think you'd really want to anyway. That landing page is doing quite specifically its own thing. Well, remember, most of those, well, so not just SharePoint Home, um, the actual site that sits behind that. So people have been asking to our root site collection back in the old days before SharePoint Home became a, a thing, right? Yeah. So people created a primary site collection and they had everything spun off that and typically they deploy the intranet there. So naturally they're saying, well, here's this glue for us, sort of like a hub, which is why they call it a hub with many spokes. Uh, that's what they wanted to do. Because people haven't really built, I mean, Microsoft hates uh, subsites. So subsites are the spawn of the devil and Microsoft wants you to create site collections for everything. So typically if you are sitting in the SharePoint home and you say create new site, you can either create a team site or a communication site. Eventually you'll be able to create a hub site. But what Microsoft, by doing that, you're creating a bunch of site collections. Site collections. And with hub sites you can actually glue your site collections together. I think that's the important message here, where you don't have disparate sites because of the way it gets created inside of SharePoint. Yeah. 
No, it's it's good stuff, and I'm really looking forward to it. I'm looking forward to getting to use it in the real world. Yeah. So that's big news. But huge departure, uh, and it's the second bit of huge departure stuff from Microsoft. One was uh, Teams. Uh, Teams just takes traditional information architecture and throws it up in the air, and it says, uh, let the pieces land where they do. And Hub Sites is also uh, quite a huge departure from traditional enterprise content management, moving into, okay, so if you have created all these team sites, how do you bring them together logically and how do you display them? And that's what Hub Sites are for. Yeah. So traditional information architecture practitioners will have to go back to the drawing board and say, how do we articulate or augment information architecture in the new Microsoft world? And for me, very exciting times, also huge headaches for cloud-born organizations or even organizations that now want to migrate from their on-premises versions of SharePoint into Office 365. Because it's one thing saying, okay, we literally go and we click a button and say, see that site collection? Create that same site collection in the cloud. More so now than ever are we looking at saying, well, Let's rework your information architects. Because in the old days, having that conversation with the customer was always a problem again, but we've invested so much in that. Um, let's just do or try to perform some sort of cleanup and then take that to the cloud because the change management and the user adoption is such a huge undertaking that we really don't want to do that. We don't have budget for that. But now, more so than ever, it's the right time to say, okay, how much of this content are you going to move? Where are you going to move it to because of communication sites and team sites and naturally hub sites? Also, how much of that are you going to turn into teams? Yeah, I think that's a big discussion. Like SharePoint is not the same thing in Office 365 than it is on-prem. On-prem, SharePoint is your platform for doing all of your things, right? It's your collaboration, communication, document management, records management, like it does all of the things, um, which is the career that we got into, right? We build solutions on top of SharePoint. That's not the case anymore. We're not building solutions on top of SharePoint. We're building solutions on top of Office 365. So the mind shift is very different. All that stuff you currently have as custom bits in SharePoint you don't need that doesn't need to be in SharePoint anymore. You can take it out. It could be a power app that pushes to an Azure DB. It could be a Teams instance. It could be a plan. All, all of these different things, right? SharePoint, you don't need to use SharePoint as the foundation for all this stuff anymore. And that's that's fantastic, really. But it's a sort of a shift. And having those conversations when you want to migrate to the cloud, it's a difficult conversation. It's always going to be because Microsoft is put a stick in the sand and said, we don't do enterprise content management. We do content services. And I think we should dedicate a show just to talk through that. And what that actually means. I think what that's a great idea. Yeah. yeah, In the real world. Or right, actually, well, in, instead of uh, that being on the podcast, we should probably do that on uh, 365, 365 Insights. Insights. Yeah. yeah. So just for everyone listening, we are constrained from a budgetary perspective building the studio. It's still something that we will be doing, but money doesn't grow on trees. 
we've been busy and up until such time, well, if there are any sponsors that listen to our show, we're happy to take your money and promote whatever product and sell our souls so that we can actually finalize building our studio. Uh, just a caveat on that, your product does actually have to be good. <laughs> Look, we don't have to, we, we don't have to validate the product. We just have to advertise the product. Okay, so Elle will advertise your product regardless of product. I will talk about your product if it is good. How's that? Okay, great. Moving on to my favorite segment of the week called New Features I Didn't Know About of the Week. So this week, I've decided to dedicate this entire segment to one thing. Really? Because it looks like you've got a hundred points in the show notes. It's all about one thing. It's something that's very dear to my heart that I've been working with for the last two months. And I've been spending a lot of time inside of the Security and Compliance Center as well as uh, Azure Information Protection. Because I've been onboarding a customer to Office 365 where document control and protection of information stored inside of Office 365 is the biggest thing. And I wrote a blog post probably about the same time last year around labeling that came through inside the Security Compliance Center. So you could add a label which gave you uh, retention and disposition functionalities for any list or library inside of SharePoint. So you could literally go enable labels. I can now label, I can declare a document uh, or add a classification label to a document that says retain this document for three years and then do something with it. Yeah, you label it and then depending on that label, it's controlled in whatever way. In Security Compliance Center, and that was all fair and well. Uh, what it was lacking was the rights management services. And then everyone started going to rights management services inside of Azure, and then Microsoft obviously changed its name and called it Azure Information Protection. And we started talking about name changes and what it does, what it doesn't do, and how well it works. And the fact that you have to now deploy the Azure IP client so that you can see labels that exist inside of Azure. And only inside of Azure will you get the protection that comes with rights management services. And that's completely different to labels inside of Office 365. So it's all confusing. But now that's changed. And last week, Microsoft, that's all changed. All changed. So this part of the show is dedicated to Azure IP, my new favorite favorite. Cool. What's Also... So Azure IP, we've spoken about this um, ad nauseum before. Uh, you can now classify content and also protect content. So you can classify content and say this is highly confidential. And with that, from a rights management perspective, you can now say that this document doesn't get emailed, it doesn't get copied and all of those things. Yeah, and it is now the, the an important point to note there is it's now the same label, whether it's in Office 365 or in Azure. They're using the same labels. Correct, and that would have been something that I was going to talk about, but you jumped the gun. So, uh, ah, yes. sorry, you, so you were talking about labels. Yeah. So, so unified labeling and protection is now provisioned across Azure Information Protection and Office 365. So there will be an update to your security and compliance center where you'll be able to see that functionality that's made available inside of Azure, including the labels, through the security and compliance section. So when you create a label, it's almost like feature parity. It's available in Azure IP as well as the security and compliance center. And you can also now assign protection inside and all the other bits like watermarking and those things, content expiration. Um, it's all coming through. Super cool. That's the one thing. 
There's also an Azure IP admin role so that you can provide just that subset of features to an administrator when you are creating these labels because you do need admin roles, which is quite neat. The other cool thing is that the general availability of the Azure IP scanner is now. So okay. in the old so what the scanner does for those who don't know, you can actually create all your rules. So let's talk about what sort of rules you'll create, especially in South Africa for the uh, protection of personal information. If you look at the US, they have PI, uh, protection, uh, personally identifiable information. Europe's got the, or well, the UK, not Europe. I can't say Europe anymore because of Brexit, but the UK has got the Data Protection Act and obviously Brexit now does not include them in Europe, and Europe has got the GDPR, which is coming. So with the Azure Information Protection Scanner, you can create all your rules, and you can say, well, I do not want to put social security numbers, or in our case, ID numbers, inside of a document. If I do find documents that have this, block, lock down the document so that people can't mail it out and all of that. But that's in the cloud. So when you create these rules with Azure IP, you can say, well, these locations, you know, you can sit, well, Exchange, SharePoint, OneDrive, and obviously Teams is coming. Well, with Teams, the, Az- the, if, if I'm not mistaken, the Teams chat is actually stored um, in Exchange. It's a yeah, conversation on a mailbox. Uh, so AIP will scan those. Like Very painful. Yeah. So, yeah, because everyone talks about what's the geolocation um, of, so not the geolocation, what's the location of the team's chat? Because it's built on top of the Office 365 substrate and it's born out of um, Exchange, it sits inside of Exchange. So think about it this way, right? Um, when you provision, when you do a call, right, inside of Teams, that call information actually sits, it's, it's actually hidden inside of Exchange. You don't get to see it. But what happens is when you create a case through e-discovery and you've got a DLP component to that and you're doing search, you'll be able to search that blob storage. So it sits on top of what they call the Office 365 sub, uh, uh, substrate. Is it the substrate? Something like yeah, that. Substrate. Yes. That, that is um, an actual could, word. It is. No, uh, I just need to check my slides. Um, it, it, it's the construct. Construct or substrate? I think it's construct, um, which is like a matrix term. Or substrate, that's, it might be con, not constrate, <laughs> substrate. Um, it actually does sit there. But you know what it is like with Microsoft coming up with all these weird and wonderful terminologies? Uh, you struggle to keep on to that. So now with the Azure Information Protection Scanner, you can now take those rules that you've configured, use the AIP scanner for your file shares on-prem. Awesome. And you can awesome, point to awesome, it and awesome. it'll come back and say, these are the documents that have been found. Do you want to classify? Hit the classify button. What's also quite cool, when last, so let me ask you this question. Your Office 365 at, uh, Office, are you using the Outlook? I'm a little sort of it. Are you Pro using Plus. Office Pro Plus from Office 365? I was until my machine died. Go have a look at when you open up any office application at, at the moment at the moment i'm not on pro plus so i don't have the okay. new classifier so what it actually does when you open up word powerpoint excel you can actually see it will say word office 365 not office 2016 mm-hmm. 
So what you're also getting now as part of that, because it's a tighter integration into Pro Plus and all the features that are coming through from that, you're now also getting native labeling inside of Word, PowerPoint, and Excel files on a Mac as well. Ooh. And also, in the old days, you'd have to deploy the Azure IP client. It's going to be baked into Office 2019, and you're also going to get it now because you've got that feature parity coming through from the Office Pro Plus version of Office. Super hot, man. Also, what's quite cool is you're now getting the Azure IP SDK for labeling and protection, so you can pull that into other applications. Also, native labeling on files in other apps. So any sort of SaaS apps that you're running um, with integration into Microsoft Cloud App Security. So MCAS, not to be confused with CAS or CASB, is the really cool tooling. It actually, when you go look at your admin centers, it actually pops up at, at the bottom called Cloud uh, App Security. You can now extend the functionality into other cloud apps that you're using, like Teams um, and all the other bits, all the apps that sit inside of Office 365 with this functionality. So native labeling inside of that. So I don't know when last you've actually opened up Teams, but if you have the permissions inside of Teams, you can now see top right-hand corner, it will actually give you classification functionality if you've configured classification labels inside of Office 365 and obviously inside of Azure IP, and you'll be able to classify your Teams as well and your channels. So That's that awesome. is my excitement for what's coming with Azure and Azure IP for this week. Fantastic, man. That's that's a lot of new features that we did not know about. Not just you. I had no idea. That's very cool. Well, then, as long as there's one person that didn't know about it, then it works. Fantastic. Um, as long as there's one other person. Even, no, I suppose, if you don't know about it, then it still works. So, whatever. Um, cool. So, then we're on to our last segment of the show, which is my go with the flow. Go with the flow. And I'd just like to point out to everybody for this week's segment that the user profile connector version 2 is no longer in preview. That is now the standard connector. If you want to uh, talk to the Office 365 user profile service. Did it uh, ever work, Rod? It does. It does work. It works better than, than version 1. So, because version one was a, an abomination. Which is Sorry. which is why we have a version two. And from the little bit of testing I've done, it does work. It's perfectly fine. There is one little caveat. When you add in the action from it, um, there is a block that you can type in that says query. So you think you can type in a query there. Um, but if you do, and then you run the flow, it'll break on that step and it'll tell you you've put in too many queries. So actually, you have to leave that block blank. You don't have to type anything in there. The action will pull all the information for whatever it is, whether you're fetching your own profile or manager's profile or whatever. It will pull all the attributes of that. You don't need to type anything in the query and you cannot actually type anything in the query. So just leave that box blank and you're good to go and it does work. Yeah, that sounds exactly the same as my experience was with the first one. Well, the first one didn't have that box. Didn't it have the box when you can do the lookup? Well, depending, like, if you if you were doing a get my profile, it didn't, right? The get my profile in version 2 gives you that. 
So you can't, it's not, it's not the box asking you for what's the user ID. Okay. The ones right. that ask you for a user ID will still have a user ID one. They'll also have another one for the query. Don't use it. Doesn't work. All right. So yes, they should just gray those boxes out. Yeah. Or just not display them at all. But it's funny, funny that you mentioned that because of the, uh, at the rate that Microsoft develops stuff, right? Uh, and I was speaking to um, Andrew Kinnear, who I, we need to get on the show, about he's our dev manager at Brighthouse. And he was talking about, so when it comes to documentation, you'll get code sitting inside of an app. So you'll use Graph and you'll do a call and you'll see this code sitting there and you have no idea what it does because it does nothing for you. But when they actually do the glue to connect that to whatever service it's supposed to connect, it lights up. So they're ready to deploy it, um, but it's, it doesn't do anything until they connect it to what it's supposed to be connected to. So, and then suddenly yeah, it suppose, does things. Yeah, I suppose this is what um, you're talking about. Yeah, it's, it must be much the same thing. All right, are you wrapping up, Mr. Modlin? That's all I've got this week, Al. And you? Ah, same, 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 same. Fantastic. Well, thank you all very much for listening to us. We will hopefully be back with you next week. If you want to find us online, you can find our website, twoguysandsharepoint.co.za. We're also on Twitter, at twoguyssharepoint. I'm on Twitter, at oddmodlin, and Al is... At Alistair Puget. You can also find us on iTunes or your podcast app of choice by searching Two Guys in SharePoint, all one word with the number two, and that'll come up for you. Thank you all. Great, awesome stuff. Good chatting to you, Al. And it's cheers from our side. Ciao.